It was actually way cooler than I expected it to be. Wow, this is very intuitive. That was cool. Oh, I did it! <laughs> Unbelievable. That was really fun, and that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> Welcome to Upward with Transfer, where we tackle our evolving workforce and how educators, governments, and industries are changing to keep up. We're dedicated to building effective pathways for workers and job seekers to get the skills they need to get into well-paying careers in high-growth industries. Our part in that is designing and distributing hands-on simulations that learners can use to explore new career options and develop core skills before entering an in-person vocational training program. Transfer simulations augment human educators, broadening their range of classroom possibilities without expensive facilities build-outs or specialized equipment. I'm Jack Sislak, Editorial Director at Transfer, and your host. For this episode about non-traditional career paths, I'm joined by Transfer's Head of Instructional Design, Dr. Janine DeFalco, for a robust conversation about the arts, instructional design, and more. Here at Transfer, we're all about helping people from all kinds of backgrounds discover their own pathways from wherever they are into a well-paying job in a high-growth industry, and we know that the right candidates for these jobs will come from a variety of diverse and interesting backgrounds, and not all of them are going to follow the high school to college to career pathway. Continuing our series of episodes about non-traditional career pathways, we're sitting down with Transfer Zone Head of Instructional Design to tell us about her unique journey to joining us here at Transfer. So Janine, please introduce yourself and tell our audience a bit about who you are and what you do here at Transfer. We'd love to hear it. Hi, yes. So super glad to be here. I guess you would call me a learning scientist, or that's what I kind of call myself. Uh, essentially, that's someone that studies how people learn and leveraging intelligent technologies in order to facilitate that learning. I'm here to transfer because I'm leading instructional designers in a very unique opportunity to create learning and training experiences in virtual reality. And it is a difficult domain space because not a lot of people are doing it. There's not a lot of programs to actually train instructional designers on how to do this work. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would argue that they're actually not really instructional designers. I consider them learning engineers because the complexity of the work that they're doing to create these designs and render them in VR requires a lot of interdisciplinary knowledge. So I'm here to forge the path ahead to a new way of training and learning. Awesome. A, a non-traditional pathway. Non-traditional. Yeah. Right. Let's start there. Please, if you would, uh, define a non-traditional pathway for us, non-traditional career pathway in your own words. Sure. So non-traditional pathway, what we're talking about is a traditional pathway would be someone goes through, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade, maybe <laughs> they go to college, you know, they get a bachelor's or a master's degree or a doctoral degree, unless they're doing more of those vocational mm -hmm. journeys, like they're going to be a lawyer or something. And sure. that's a pretty standardized traditional path. The non-traditional is somebody that's not doing that, right? Like maybe they've gone all through high school. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they were a high school mm -hmm. dropout and they got their certification saying, yep, okay, I can proceed on to college from here. Sure. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that while we're calling it non-traditional now, mm -hmm. the history of education, at least in the United States, is much more akin to kind of what we're doing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when the country was founded, and I would say, you know, up until the 19th century, we didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of opportunities for standardized learning, mm -hmm. classrooms, a lot of one-room classrooms. Right. 
and certainly not for women, right? So the traditional path was for most people, vocational work. It was learning Mm -hmm. as an apprentice, a skill or a trade. And it was only very, very few wealthy men (laughs) that actually went down that traditional, now we consider a traditional learning path. Yeah, absolutely. This is a classic trope of everything old is new again and rediscovering apprenticeships. Right, right. Do they really work? (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. So let's pivot from the general to the specific. Let's talk about your specific pathway of getting to where you are in your life. So I like to consider myself an adventurer, right? I really hate not knowing things. I think that's kind of like the through line for my whole existence. And I had a pretty traditional trajectory, high school, Mm -hmm. you know, college, I finished college in three years and then thought it was an interesting thing to do to pursue an arts path. So I was Mm -hmm. an actor for a while and then I decided I really had power issues. So I went into being a director and I got, (laughs) (laughs) I did my professional directing internship at the Actors Theater of Louisville. I was there for about a year. And then when I came back out East, I was directing in New York City and Mm -hmm. kind of regional area. And I was working actually at the Juilliard School as an administrator. And every day I would get off the subway and I'd pass Fordham Law School. Mm -hmm. And so I came home one day to my roommates and I was like, you know, guys, I think I think I'm gonna go to law school. They're like, you're out of your mind. You're gonna just (laughs) leave theater and go into law. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. So I applied to St. John's and Fordham, got into both, started Fordham. Cool. And when I was there, I met my now former husband. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I stopped and I was a stay-home mom for about 10 mm-hmm. years. I had four kids in nine years. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, ah, actually not thinking I really want to do this. I think I want to leave this <laughs> particular this particular arrangement and I wanted to sure. go back and get my education. So yeah. when I went back to try and get a job after being home for 10 years, the only job mm-hmm. I could get was working at The Gap. And if, when I filled out the application, like I cried the whole way home. I was like, how am I going to take care of four kids as a single yeah. mom? Yeah. So at that point, I decided to go back to school. I went mm-hmm. back and I got my master's at NYU. Mm-hmm. And I did that because I thought I'd be a theater educator. I thought I would ah, go uh-huh. into the schools yeah. and I'd teach theater. And I had a really great professor uh, who challenged me. And I said, well, theater, people can learn, right? They can yeah. learn from doing experiential learning. And he says, show me an empirical paper that shows <laughs> how the arts lead to learning. You won't find it. I was like, that's preposterous. Of course, <laughs> there's got to be something out there. Right. Somebody's got to And there wasn't. There was nothing there. And then, of course, in my infinite wisdom, I'm like, well, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to figure out how to measure stuff. So I, I applied to Columbia and I got into their program and I was attracted to it because they did all this embodied cognition work and they were mm-hmm. doing a lot of work in simulations, avatar, cool. you know, all this whole, as a whole, you know, um, land, new landscape of leveraging different technologies yeah. to support learning. Absolutely. And so that was really exciting. And then I realized why there was no empirical papers, because as an artist trying to figure out how to measure stuff is actually right. hard right. Uh, <laughs> unless, uh, unless you're on crew, right? It was just a really, <laughs> so it was a challenge. So that was my circuitous path, mm-hmm. but you know, even in the work that I do now, everything always goes back to the arts. Sure. You know, and I don't think that the arts actually get enough credit. And that's what's so appealing about the VR space. Yeah. Because we're really leveraging art to kind of support learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I had a director once who said it kind of helped you learn how to learn. Yeah. 100%. Like yeah. 100%. Awesome. Why are these non-traditional pathways becoming more and more important in our changing world slash economy? Sure. Well, you know, I was very lucky, right, mm-hmm. to be able to go back to school. Absolutely. I had a very supportive family. 
I knew the system. I knew how to work the system yeah. <laughs> to kind of get back involved, right? Yeah, Indeed. it was a skill. And and I had the guidance. My father was a, actually a professor of education for many years at Long Island University. Cool. And he was really my advisor when I was mm-hmm. kind of trying to figure out, like, how do I not just work at the Gap for the rest of my life? Like, how do I, <laughs> how do I what path do I, right. do I uh, proceed on? And, and the truth of the matter is, is that not a lot of people have that kind of advisor. No. And, and you know, you start your life down one path and then all of a sudden life happens and you're like, well, that didn't work out and you do something else. And when you get off the the path that you thought you were going on, you often don't have an advisor. You don't have a way of knowing how do I get back on course? So non-traditional pathways are really important. A, because there is a lot of disruption, right? There's disruption in the workforce, there's disruption in employment, right? So there's employment yeah. and family disruption. Yeah. There's pandemic disruption. Totally. But, but it's also college is unbelievably expensive. And there's a ton of research yes. as people that don't actually go to college won't make as much money as their peers who do. Right. So how do you bridge that gap? You know, how do you let the accessibility to higher education become the gateway for people to have a meaningful career and be able to have a sustainable income? Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's why these non-traditional pathways are important because people have less control over their life. Absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes the opportunities out of your circumstances are not evident or accessible. Yeah. If we keep holding everybody to this impossible standard of you must go to college to have any kind of future, we have just so many opportunities as we talk about all the time here on Upward at Transfer in the offices and on Slack and whatnot. It's just that trades, alternative training programs, apprenticeships, dovetailing with your specific experience in instructional design. What trends are you seeing in the instructional design world regarding embracing candidates with non-traditional backgrounds? So this is where the arts thing for me really comes into play, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so when I look at instructional designers in kind of those traditional pathways, those programs that train instructional designers, Mm -hmm. it's very limited. It's been limited in kind of a two-dimensional space, right? Mm -hmm. So you got your Blackboard, you have your Moodle, you know, it's all like on a computer. Yeah. Two-dimensional interface is very linear in a lot of ways. Complete this, fill the thing. Complete this, do that, right? Right. VR all bets are off, right? Like you right. don't even know where the learner's going to land in the space, what yes. they're going to pick up first. It's a three-dimensional way of kind of designing. So what I see in terms of trends are really people who are coming from a strong arts background getting involved in this space That's because so cool. that training and background of thinking three-dimensionally, thinking about that kind of the experience of what it is from um, more than just a two-dimensional perspective is really, really key in this environment, because if you've been involved in theater as a director, you know that there are sight lines, right? Right. <laughs> can't, can't go here because you're in the way, the audience can't see you there. It's yeah. the same thing in VR, except now it's like a theater in the round. So you got to kind of direct for that theater in the round experience. And to me, that's exciting to be able to give artists another pathway to having a sustainable career path because mm-hmm. we're not really very generous with. <laughs> Yeah, arts, arts funding. Yeah, arts funding just uh, isn't what it was. Yeah, so so that's what I see. The short answer is mm-hmm. it's much more interdisciplinary, and it's absolutely leveraging more arts. I think than maybe we've kind of seen in the past. Awesome. Well, that's th- again. This is why we're talking to you. This is why we're doing this series <laughs> of episodes here on the pod. Hopefully, there's somebody listening to this right now. And they're like, really? It's like, oh yeah. You know, we're looking behind the curtain. 
you know, I've worked here for over a year and I know somewhat about how the Sims get built. But if somebody's just tuning in right now, now you know a lot more than maybe a lot of people on their first day here <laughs> for all we know. But it's awesome. And let's keep drilling down, getting more specific. How does transfer embrace these trends when regarding non-traditional pathways by bringing on team members with different backgrounds? When So right now, actually, we're, we're looking to um, fill a couple spaces in mm-hmm. our ID team. And I think we posted the job maybe about a week ago. Mm-hmm. And we have like almost 350 applications. Wow. So I'm, oh my yeah, gosh. So I'm going through and I'm trying to eyeball, right? Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I am looking for is do they have an arts background? Right. right? In, in addition to kind of the technical skills. Right. Like, do you have experience in VR, you know, those kinds of things? But sure. I am kind of curious, like, what is your arts background? Yeah. So more recently, we hired another copy editor. Mm-hmm. And for that job, I want to say we had over a thousand applications. Yeah. We had so many people apply for that. But this one candidate, the person that we ended up hiring, stood out to me because they had not only robust career in copy editing, Mm -hmm. but they had an MFA in playwriting. And I'm like, that's what I need. I need that because I need someone when they do the copy edit, which is two-dimensional, right? Because we're still scripting it on paper. I need for them to be able to understand, can you hear different voices, right? So because we've got the coaches, at some point we'll go to multiplayer you got different right. characters in the space. So can they hear it? Can they anticipate what's in that space? So I really wanted somebody that had that ability to craft and edit dialogue, like the voiceover, yeah. and understand how that interacts with the artifacts in, in a space. Totally. Yeah. You want them to, to literally have an ear yeah. for this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just enough to... Because I've worked with copywriters and writers and editors of all different backgrounds. And yeah, you can really tell the ones who... You know, do people talk like this around here? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's it. And being able to kind of, when you edit, it's like to edit what is the voice of the character. So right now right. we've got Simon and Florence. Well, yeah. Florence is our healthcare person. Right. She's not going to speak like Simon. So your copy editor really needs to understand how to distinguish between character voices, you know, how they interact with the person in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that MFA, I think, uh, will serve us well to have that in our pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And let's talk a little bit more about any clients or partners, any external people you've interacted with when it comes to how are you seeing them lead the way when bringing on people of different backgrounds into trying to get them into these well-paying jobs? So people that I have spoken to are fascinated by the VR space. Mm -hmm. You know, they think like, oh, that's novel. That's interesting. What does that look like? You know? Right. But I also feel that a lot of people get jazzed about the mission. Absolutely. And that's the thing that really kind of interests them. I, I have a um, very, very good friend of mine. He's he's an entrepreneur. He mm-hmm. invests in a lot of companies. When I spoke to him about this work, the thing that really resonated with him was the fact that the company is oriented towards more of a social justice kind of mission, right? Like mm-hmm. how do we empower more people to yeah. be financially autonomous? So my work before I came here, I was with the army and I really loved being a a scientist in the simulation and training lab in Orlando. I was stationed at at West Point for a couple of years, but then I went to Orlando and I loved that work because it was so mission driven. So the army funded my dissertation work when I was at Columbia. And I remember meeting the gentleman who was responsible for it all, Dr. Bob Sotelaire, who was kind of like my hero. And before I even signed up to do the work with him, 
we had met at a restaurant across the street from Columbia. And I was like, why do you work for the army? Like, (laughs) you know, you're a scientist, you're an engineer, you're a PhD guy. Like, why are you working for the army? And he had said to me, I believe if I do my job well, then another soldier comes home safely. And I was like, I can get behind that. Right. That, that made it really meaningful to me. So what I learned amongst other things, working for the army is being part of an organization that is mission driven. Uh, I don't think people appreciate how important that is, right? You know, and you look at teachers, teachers mm-hmm. are a mission yeah. driven kind of organization. It's like, why would you have a really poor salary? Right. You know, it, it, because you have to believe in the work that you're doing. And so I totally. feel this is really comparable to that. Yeah, the, the teacher thing is a very complicated issue when, uh, when it comes to why teachers are so underpaid, and that's a la- larger societal challenge. Yeah. I've worked at a bunch of different tech companies, and I'm very happy that here at Transfer we have a specific thing we're trying to fulfill in society versus just being like, we make this software, give us money. Like, no, this is like, right. we make this software. We're trying to have an impact in the real world and get people like, hey, we can help you have an electrician in your area to fix your house so that you can keep having power. The more we learn here at Transfer, or individuals of us learn about how I don't want to say dire, I'll say challenging. The situation is for people in the skilled trades. The more we are able to see how what we do here at Transfer can really affect the real world. And that's huge. That that does. It keeps people motivated. It keeps people engaged. Absolutely. Let's let's as as I kind of just pivoted sort of to a vision of a better vision of the future. What Mm -hmm. is our vision of the future? Uh, What does it look like when we have more people from non-traditional backgrounds in more roles across the country? I, for me, it's like super exciting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exciting because we know that there is strength in diversity, right? We know that yeah. when you have multiple perspectives and, and getting feedback from people who have different kinds of experiences and different kind of expertise, mm-hmm. different yeah. zones of genius, right? When you have that opportunity to have, again, a plurality of feedback, you know, perspectives, mm-hmm. genius into the mix, right. you can kind of accelerate progress. The thing that is particularly exciting is forever in a day, any educator, particularly those who are in higher education, will tell you that one of the greatest limitations of academia is that it's a gatekeeping institution. Yeah. I was really good at working the system. Okay. I understood how to get A's. I understood, you know, (laughs) like, I I don't agree with the darn thing you're saying, but whatever, I'll put it on the paper, I'll get that A, right? Like, I was was A driven (laughs) as a student. But then there are other other people, and I would say people who are particularly high genius, who Mm -hmm. say, I know, I just don't agree with you, and I refuse to capitulate to the man. Will not dance to your tune. (laughs) Will not dance to your tune. Now, and again, so it's not necessarily that they're less intelligent, but you there are a variety of reasons why people don't make it through the academic system. Yeah. And the academic system is a gatekeeper. So if yeah. you do not have that high school diploma, if you do not have that college degree, you right. then are not even going to be considered for certain kinds right. of employment. Some would say it's not a very principled way of living of saying, like, you tell me to jump how high. You know, it's <laughs> it's a skill set, right? And I kind of mastered that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I mastered that because I understood like I, if I want to get to you yeah. know point Z, there are certain things that I had to do and I only had a certain amount of power right. in order to kind of get to where I wanted to go. Other people, and again, it's not a, necessarily even a matter of intelligence. I would argue some of your highly intelligent people do mm-hmm. not make it through the system right. because they're non-traditional learners or yeah. you know they, they insult their teachers because they tell them they're wrong all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they don't uh, like that, it turns out. We no, it's actually, they're not a big fan of it, right? Uh-huh. Like, you're wrong. I'm um, speaking truth to power. The power does not care. Power does not care, but yeah, yeah, that's exactly, and especially if it's coming from a kid. 
if we are able to kind of get more people mainstream in problem solving in career paths, right. And bypass the gatekeeping. I just think it's going to, you know, there's more opportunities for progress and growth. That's kind of my short answer. Well, I think it's a good one. It's a huge, awesome note to end on. And yeah, this has been a really awesome conversation. Janine, thank you so much for being here and taking us through this whole journey of your background, ending with our vision of the future for hopefully, yeah, a world where lots of people with lots of different backgrounds are finding their own pathways into well-paying careers in high growth industries and, and keeping the world going just, just a little bit longer, maybe a little happier of a place. So thanks again so, so much for being here. And thanks also all of you at home for listening. And definitely join us again on our next non-traditional pathways episode of Upward. Take care, everybody. Take care, Janine. Thank you so much. Thank you.